Let's pray. Lord, I pray that I don't ever forget about the gift of your blood. As it turns out, your blood is central to the message that I have tonight. It was simply part of the message when I formulated it and when you gave it to me. But I thank you for the song that we've just sung and how it brings back to my memory that your blood, your blood that was given for us is central to all messages that we should have and that we should all hear. Never let us forget your sacrifice, Lord. As much as we may be swayed by other messages and turned in other directions, I pray that we will always remember your blood that was shed for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. All right, this is going to be a little uh, different tonight. You're going to hear me say a lot of times, I don't know, or I'm not sure. But first of all, before we get too far, um, I've got some nerdy jokes, okay? Y'all remember, everybody left, so you must remember from last week. And I tried this one on, on Jameson, and he didn't get it, so we're not going to do that. And admittedly, he said, well, I'm, I'm just not into that, and I, I didn't get it. But he, he was very truthful. Okay, everybody knows what a nanosecond is? Does everybody know? It's a very short piece of time. It's a fraction of a second, and I didn't look it up. I just know it's very short. Okay, do you know what the time is between slipping on a peel and smacking the pavement? Do you know what that's called? It's called a banana second. Um, here's another good one. What is half of a large intestine called? One semicolon. I told you they were nerdy. All right. What is eight nickels called? There's another term for eight nickels. Two paradigms. Okay. All right. Why do you never ask an atom anything? They make up everything, yeah, yeah. You watch Big Bang too, don't you? Yeah, I can tell. That's what happens. All right. Well, my message tonight, I'm, I'm a, one of my degrees is engineering, okay? So I'm a very factual person. I love facts. So I'm going to start off with something that kind of warms my heart when I think about it. Connie, if you give us that first picture. Anybody know what that is? You watch National Geographic. That's a little churchy thing in the middle there. It's called the, they call it the edicule. That's a Latin name. And inside of that is, well, outside of that is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Sepulchre is a tomb. Inside of that little thing in there is supposed to be the tomb where Jesus was buried. Now, they've made it very ornate, and they covered it and all this kind of stuff. And there's a lot of oral history related to it. It was The story is, and I don't want to linger too long on this, but the story is that um, after Jerusalem was destroyed, the Romans came to what was known as the site of Jesus' burial, which was in a cave, a tomb in a cave, 
And they filled that cave in, and they built a temple there to the goddess Aphrodite right on that site. Emperor Constantine, in about the year 300, was converted to Christianity, and he sent his mother, Helena, to the Holy Land to look for such sites as this so that she could build churches there so that Christians could go and worship there. So they came in and they removed the temple and they dug the dirt out of the cave where the top had been opened up. And supposedly they built a churchy thing on top of the tomb. Well, this is all oral history. And this was at about the year 325 when Helena came there and had all of that done. Well, you know, I like to think that I have great faith. Don't we all like to think we have great faith? Yeah, yeah, that's great faith, isn't it? But... National Geographic was part of a effort to rework this thing because over time the thing has gotten very crumbly, about to fall in, and that's marble slabs on the outside, and it's got all sorts of ornate stuff, and it gotten in bad shape, and so this conglomerate of different religions who have authority over this agreed to do a rebuild of this thing to shore it up, fix it up so it doesn't fall in, but they still didn't know, well, what is inside of this thing? And they thought, well, you know, somebody picked this site and said, well, we'll come here and worship this site as if it were where Jesus was buried. Well, come to find out, they put little probes inside the walls, and it doesn't look like it, but they looked inside the walls, and lo and behold, inside those walls, there is a shell of rock, bedrock. It's not, not brick laid or anything like that. But this thing is built around a shell of rock. And inside of that is a slab that's supposed to be in the area where Jesus' tomb was. But the story was that because so many pilgrims were coming into there and chipping away the rock where Jesus had laid, that when Helena came in, she had a slab put in on top of that and mortared in. So what is the truth about this? Is this really the site where Jesus was buried? Well, lo and behold, they have methods, and it's not carbon-14 or anything like that, but they have methods of checking the type of mortar, and they said that different styles of mortar were used, and they did the testing on the mortar, and it came back, and they said, well, we got the results on the mortar, and it was put down in the year 325. Wow. So, you know, to me, that's like, wow. You know, that's, that's confirmation that what these people believe and what we worship as a site, that's some sort of confirmation. Now, is that an absolute confirmation that that's where Jesus was laid? I don't know. It's prob probably not. But more than that was the evidence that people from the year 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed until 300 or so, until that time, there were people who came there and believed that that's where Jesus was laid. They believed that. And in that time, you know, they didn't have newspapers. They didn't have a lot of accounts of what happened. But oral tradition kept all of these sites alive, where Jesus was born, where he was resurrected, all of these sites. So 
I would love as, a, as an engineer to know as a fact that that's the case. But I do have some hope because of that fact. Okay, is it possible to be a little, a little short on faith at times? Give me the first scripture, if you will, Connie. Okay, and this is a familiar story. This is from John. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Well, they had seen Jesus resurrected, but Thomas had not been there. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, like, did he know that Thomas was wondering about him? I guess he did. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him. He talks about us. He said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. To me, that is Jesus' response to us that we are blessed. We weren't with him. We didn't walk around. We didn't see him perform these miracles. We didn't see all that. We don't have that experience. But we've heard tradition. We've experienced the Lord in some way or other, the Holy Spirit. So we believe. And Jesus says we are blessed because of that. Well, this evening I'm going to talk about somebody very important to the kingdom of God. Somebody very important. So y'all listen carefully. All right. Next scripture, Mark, okay? The soldiers took Jesus into the courtroom of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. And this is about Jesus' crucifixion. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Now, I'm afraid we hear this sort of story too much and become too cold to it, too accustomed to it. And I thank God for movies like The Passion of the Christ where we can visualize really what it was like. And I, I know people who you know, seemingly unmoved by the gospel message but said that they watched that movie and they just cried, you know, broke their heart to see how cruelly Jesus was was treated. Well, I think that there are other parts of scripture that we that we need to pay attention to. I think I think we need to use our emotions. Are we emotional creatures? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So I think we need to apply our emotions to other stories and other scenarios. Okay. After that it says a passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. 
father, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. So, who is this guy named Simon? And why is he important? He even names his son. I think I've heard Kenny say that before. If people's names are in there, there must be some significance to it. So, I would, I would ask you to go along with me on this and assume for a minute that you're Simon of Cyrene. Okay. Cyrene was a Christian, say the wrong thing, was a Jewish colony in Libya, which is way around the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a goodly distance away from Israel and Jerusalem. So this guy, what was he doing there? He was from way off in Cyrene. I mean, this is like the other end of the world almost in their day and time. So what was he doing there? Well, this was the feast of the Passover. This was an important holiday in the Jewish calendar. And everybody that could went to Jerusalem. Now, for this guy to go from where he was to go to Jerusalem, this would have been like, you see, Muslims will do that. They'll go to Mecca and they'll do their pilgrimage and they'll walk, you know, parade around this stone that's under a curtain and all this kind of stuff that they do well this would have been similar to that he would have he would have likely and i'm you know i'm not gonna tell you i know this but he would at great expense likely he would have left his home he may have left his entire family there saying i'm gonna go to jerusalem i need to go to jerusalem to go to the feast of the passover this this is a major holiday i need to go at least once in my life i need to go and and do this thing. So if he's a proper Jewish man, he would have done, done certain things. Did he know who Jesus was? I don't know. Had he followed him? Had he heard tales about the miracles he had done, the kind of person he was? I don't know. Once he was there, did he hear about him? He said he was out in the countryside, so he's not staying in the city. And Jesus had come into the city, and the, there were crowds in the city when Jesus appeared. You know, on uh, Palm Sunday, there's a big procession through town, and Jesus was there. So did he know Jesus at least that much about him when he came into town? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But one thing I do know is that I'll go a little further before I say that. If he were a proper Jewish worshiper, he would have gone through all of these ritual things. He would have prepared himself to go to the temple that day. He was obviously going to the temple. That's ever where everybody wanted to go. So he would have picked out his finest clothes. He would have gone through a series of ritual bathing, bathings. He would have fasted. He would have celebrated the feast of the Passover, which is what the Last Supper was. It was what's called the Seder. It's a, a proper organized meal that men typically, sometimes women and the rest of the family would do, and they would partake of in remembrance of the Israeli people passing over out of Egypt, God giving them passage out of Egypt. 
So he likely would have done that. He would have done all these ritual things. He would have prepared himself to go to the temple so he can participate in all the special stuff taking place that day. Whether he knew who Jesus was or not, whether he believed in Jesus or not, he would have been ready for that kind of stuff. So what happens to him? The Romans grab him and make him carry Jesus' cross. So Jesus walks in front, and Simon is behind, and despite what you may have seen or think, he's carrying the main beam because of stipes. Main beam, and it would have been covered with blood. It would have been covered with Jesus' blood. And he would be walking behind Jesus, seeing how brutally he's been beaten and how weak he was. It was obvious he had lost blood. And he had to, to wonder, what has this man done? Who is he? And he would have seen the placard that says, King of the Jews. How could he not wonder who this man was and why he was treated so badly, so cruelly? <clears throat> Did Jesus know who he was? You think he knew who he was? Jesus knew that Nathaniel was under a fig tree before he ever met him. When Jesus had the immoral woman to pour the, the perfume on him, and one of the Pharisees was thinking terrible things about him and the woman, Jesus knew what that man was thinking. You think Jesus didn't know who Simon was? I don't know that he does, did, but I have every reason to believe that he did. So Jesus is beaten within an inch of his life, is expected to carry this. Now Simon is helping him. So this person, this person that he's carrying the cross for, has got to be just about gone and surely doesn't have any wits about him or doesn't have anything to say to anybody. Let's have the next scripture, honey. Jesus stops and delivers a speech. Did you remember that, that he did that? I didn't remember that. It says, a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Good heavens, this, this man must be somebody special. Must be. How can he be? So did so when they took Jesus there and Simon is through carrying the cross and they put Jesus on the cross and they put it in the ground and all of that, does Simon stay there, you think? I would. I don't know I don't know what Simon did. And Simon had to look. He's got blood on him. His clothes are messed up. Had to think, well, I can't go to the temple now. This has ruined my day. If if he still 
thought about his redemptive purpose in doing that. He would have thought this day is only my day. But he had to stand there and say, well, I've got this man's blood, this innocent man's blood all over me. Did he stay there and hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? If, if, I, if it had been me and I heard that, I'd say, how can he say that? How can he say that? This, this, this person is, he's, he's different. I don't understand all of this. Well, let's suppose, let's suppose he went away. Let's suppose he stayed. If I were he, would I have been affected by all of that? Here's another thing to think about. Simon, if he were there for the purpose he came for, it's likely he would have stayed on for some period of time because he spent an enormous amount of money and he's gone in our way of thinking, halfway around the world, and he's there for things that are going to take place in Jerusalem. Well, there's another big celebration that's coming up in 50 days. It's called the Feast of Weeks. And at least he would say, well, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here for that, too, you know. This, did he do it? I don't know. Did he? I don't know. But let me ask you also to put yourself in his place. If he stayed there any amount of time at all, Beyond Sunday, when Jesus was resurrected, he would have likely heard people going around saying, you know, the story is he came back to life. And his disciples are going around saying that when they drank the cup at their meal, he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And Simon would have to think, and that blood was on my hands. Was Simon affected by that? What do you think? I know this is a lot of conjecture, but I'm just saying, if this man were any kind of human at all, he would have to be touched in some way. Whether he was or not, I don't know. I don't know. On this occasion... Jesus brought the cross to Simon. My personal experience has been at the age of 56, and I may have told y'all this story before. At the age of 56, I was had not ever obeyed the Holy Spirit in any way that I'm aware of. I just that's just the way it was. But under a series of circumstances. Joyce was in a choir. I went with their choir to this little church. And I came back, and we, we everybody was invited to go back to this church, and it was an all-black church. And that night, I went home, and I had a dream. I dreamed that I stood up on the platform in that church with a microphone in my hand, and I gave a talk. I talked about racial reconciliation, talking about one race of people being disrespectful, harmful to another. And this was just a kind of a general thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying only whites against black or uh, any of that. It was, 
the thoughts were put in my head that I was supposed to stand in that church with a microphone and preach a message about racial reconciliation. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And I woke up the next morning, I told my wife, this was the following Monday, told my wife what I dreamed. She said, that is really strange. That is a really strange thing to dream. Wednesday, she went to a choir practice, and I went back to that church. I really wasn't sure why. I just knew that I had to go. And several events happened on the way to church that tried to stop me. A thunderstorm came up. A thought came in my head. Bad time to go. No, I'm supposed to go. All the traffic lights went out. All the traffic lights are out. Traffic's going to be bad. No, I'm supposed to go. Well, I went, and as events happened, I was asked to do exactly what I had dreamed. The words that I didn't put in my head came out of me. The, the pastor of that church, I don't, I don't really know why he asked me. He said, brother, do you have anything you'd like to say? I didn't have any choice. So I got up there and I quoted exactly word for word what had been placed in me. I didn't, I didn't fabricate those words. And then when that happened, I knew without a doubt there was a Holy Spirit. I knew without a doubt that I was to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I knelt at that, at that uh, altar at the foot of a cross. I knelt at the foot of a cross, and I confessed my sins, and I swore allegiance to my Lord. And my point in saying that is Jesus may ask you to come to the foot of his cross, or he may bring the cross to you. In Simon's case, he brought the cross to him. So what did what happened to Simon after that? Next scripture comes. On the day of Pentecost, this is fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, feast of weeks, a lot of lot of Jews still in town. All the believers were meeting together in one place. They'd been doing this for 50 days. They'd been asked to do that. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylonia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and people from the area of Libya around Cyrene. 
Did Simon stay there? Was he one of those? I don't know. I don't know. They are mentioned. Said that he had two sons, Rufus and Alexander. Why are they even mentioned? Did they have any part in this? Did they carry the cross? Did they help their dad carry the cross? Not that we know of. <clears throat> and here's, here's a little tidbit that I don't even have the scripture for. They said the, the names of Rufus and Alexander, fairly common names, but Rufus and Alexander are mentioned as two believers in Rome, helping in conversion of Romans to Christianity. Was that his sons? I don't know, but it's just kind of funny that their names are mentioned there, but th there's no connection to the others, but perhaps. Meanwhile, the believers, next, next scripture, right? Acts 11. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Jesus' resurrection and after the destruction of Jerusalem, because of persecution, Christianity began to spread around the world. And this is part of the story. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, he was one of the martyrs, Travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. So there were people in Cyrene who were converted to Christianity who became missionaries to other areas. Was this Simon and some of his sons? I don't know. I don't know. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Well, that's a lot of I don't knows, isn't it? Okay. You've heard my story, you've heard my case. Now, I want to talk about the person who is important to the kingdom of God. You thought it was Simon, didn't you? Nope. It's you. It's you. My question to you is, if you had had these experiences, what would you have done? I know that there are many, many people who may be raised in a church. They go to Sunday school. They have good, loving parents. They... You know, everything is swell, and you, you reach an age, and you realize that Jesus is your Savior, and you, you turn your life over to the Lord, and, and uh, everything's just, just fine. Uh, and I mentioned this in, in small groups Sunday, but there are some people, like myself, who have quite literally an earth-shattering experience where the Lord reveals himself to them. And those people, it seems to me, have more of a 
encouragement, shall I say, to do, well, for instance, what I'm doing with children. And I would tell you, it doesn't have to be an earth-shattering experience if you have the realization that Jesus is your Lord, if you will, if you will think about that, if you will think about what would I have done, how, how would I use that? If the Lord so saw so fit to put me in a position like that, how would I use it? And maybe I won't be in a position like that. The Lord may be a little more subtle with me, but he will present himself to me, hopefully in sermons, hopefully through scripture, that you'll read about these people who, who did marvelous things for the kingdom of God just simply because they met Jesus. They met God, and they were told who he was. So my question to you is, are you going to be an important person for the kingdom of God? I've said that you were, and I believe that you are. But you are very much like Simon in that the response is up to you. I can't, I can't determine what your response is. I can't determine your future. Only you can do that. So I pray that when you would read Scripture, I pray that you would, you would look at these people and you say, well, there must be some significance to them being mentioned in Scripture. What, what, could, have, what could they have done for the kingdom? I would ask you to consider that. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that uh, we would carefully consider Scripture. Does it, does it give us a guide to our actions? Of course it does. Lord, I know many times we take a, what we see as Scripture as just very general guidance, just very patterns for conduct, patterns for how we lead our daily lives. But I pray, Lord, that you would you would prick our hearts with a conscience that, that you're calling us, that we are like Simon, that we will have experiences that will, will reach, our, reach our souls, that uh, will touch us in, in ways that will cause us to want to serve you. I pray that uh, our service to you would be exactly what, it, what you would need for it to be, Lord. I know that your kingdom message will go forward and I know that your kingdom will be here forever but I just pray that uh, we would want to be part of that a very a very 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 big part of that I pray that in Jesus name